and welcome to this Speed Listen installment of the Six Gun Justice Podcast. Soon to be exclusive to our Patreon supporters, Speed Listens are occasional short podcast installments in support of our full-length Six Gun Justice episodes. I'm Paul Bishop, writing solo today as your host for this quick take on Western fanzines and magazines. My compadre and Six Gun Justice co-host Richard Prosh and I each get a chance to present Speed Listen installments while continuing to host our full-length podcast episodes together. In this Speed Listen installment, I'll be talking first about the old-school Western pulps from the 40s and 50s, followed by the digest-sized Western fiction magazines, which gained an audience by trading on the names of popular Western writers such as Louis L'Amour and Zane Grey. Then I want to cover some great current nonfiction Western magazines, which are keeping the tradition of the West alive. And finally, I want to share with you some of the essential and entertaining Western fanzines you don't want to miss. The history of Western fiction magazines began on July 12, 1919, when the first all-Western pulp, Street and Smith's Western Story magazine, arrived on the newsstands. It was a direct descendant of Street and Smith's dime novel series, Buffalo Bill Stories. Western magazine was created to counter the waning audience for that dime novel series, which had plunged downwards after the death of the real Buffalo Bill Cody in 1917. To preserve ties to the magazine's former manifestation, Western Story featured Buffalo Bill yarns throughout its first year of publication. As many of you know, the term pulps was slang for the inexpensive magazines that dominated the newsstands from the late 1800s to the mid-1950s. The nickname came from the cheap paper on which the magazines were printed. Typically, pulp magazines were 7 inches by 10 inches in size, with an approximate 120-page count. The edges were ragged and untrimmed, and the covers, oh, those covers, they were luridly delightful explosions of color, action, and often titillatingly lascivious images all designed to make an individual pulp stand out on the newsstand displays. This was hard to do in an ocean of pulp titles, which could consist of 50 or more weekly and monthly titles in multiple genres. Detective, air battles, romance, weird science, and with the advent of Western Story magazine, Western. Street and Smith were the pulp trendsetters in both cover images and subject matter. They paid more per word for stories and more per image for art, than the other pulps, which meant they had their pick of the best writers and illustrators. Their Western Story magazine was no different, pulling in the top names to fill in its pages and illustrate its covers. Between those covers, Western Story magazine typically contained a novel-length main story, novels were leaner and meaner back then, then two slightly shorter novellas, a handful of other short stories, and up to eight different features, such as the editor's Roundup and The Hollow Tree, which was a forum for missing persons reports of all things. Hundreds of authors sold stories to Western Story magazine during its 30-year run, but none were so prolific or dedicated as Frederick Faust, better known as Max Brand. His first tale appeared in the November 1920 issue, and for the next 12 years, there were often as many as three Faust stories in a single issue of the weekly magazine, each published under a different pseudonym. By 1922, stories from the best Western writers of the day had boosted Western Story Magazine's circulation to 2 million regular readers, earning publisher Street and Smith $400,000 for each weekly issue. But by the end of the decade, Western Story Magazine began losing their audience as they were facing strong competition from newer, more violent Western pulps who wanted a share of the lucrative Western market. The competition was also spreading the market thin, with more and more Western pulp titles hitting the newsstands. Dime Western, Thrilling Western, Exciting Western, Spicy Western, Speed Western, Blue Ribbon Western, Lariat Stories, 44 Western, Star Western, Mammoth Western, Giant Western, Big Book Western, Ace High Western, 
Western Aces, Leading Western, Double Action Western, Popular Western, Smashing Western, New Western, Fighting Western, even Rangelands Romances. Are you getting the drift? But those weren't close to all of the Western pulps being published. Making the market even more crowded were the Western Hero Pulps, Masked Rider Western, The Rio Kid Western, Range Rider Western, Texas Rangers, and a whole posse more. And then there were the lower-end Western Pulps, Triple Western, Western Novels, Five-Story Western, Ten-Story Western, All-Story Western. You get the idea. And all of them were hot on the trail of Western Stories Magazine's audience and profits. Comparatively, Western Story Magazine became considered old-fashioned. Their editorial mandate had always been to publish clean-living Westerns. Most of their stories followed a simple formula, and the readers were suddenly bored of the same old, same old and readers began to take off in droves to spend their dimes on other, more exciting brands. To remain even somewhat lucrative, Western Story Magazine was forced to make changes. The biggest being adjusting their weekly publication schedule to monthly. But nothing could turn the stampede around, and in 1949, After 30 years and 1,263 issues, Western Story Magazine rode off into the sunset. All of the pulps, no matter what their theme, faded from the news rack seemingly overnight by the end of the 1950s. Television and other entertainments had made them redundant, but there were a few diehards that tried to remain profitable by shrinking to digest size and tying their fortunes to the popularity of well-known Western writers of the day. The most successful of these was Zane Grey Western Magazine which began publication in 1946. It ran for 82 issues before closing out its trail drive in 1954. After a 15-year hiatus, however, it was resurrected in October 1969 under a slightly different title, Zane Gray's Western Magazine. I have no doubt the editorial meeting concerning changing Gray to Gray's was hellishly contentious with much wailing, gnashing of spurs, and rending of cowboy hats. Under its new name, the magazine ran for another 31 issues before once again drifting off the trail in September 1974. Several other celebrity-fronted digest-sized Western fiction magazines had less success. Max Brand's Western magazine ran for 34 issues between December 1949 and August 1954. Walt Coburn's Western magazine had 16 issues published between November 1949 and June 1951. Luke Short's Western Magazine lasted for a negligible two issues, April 1954 and October 1954. They were only notable for their cool covers by artist Stanley Borak. In a final attempt to capitalize on the name of a highly popular Western author, Louis L'Amour Western Magazine was launched in March 1994. It ran for only 12 issues until January 1996. There was also a now-scarce special advance preview copy of the magazine, which was distributed in November 1993 to members of the Western Writers of America. While there was short fiction in each issue of Louis L'Amour's Western magazine from a number of recognizable Western writers, such as Cameron Judd, Glendon Swarthout, and Elmer Kelton, only the July 1995 issue had a story from L'Amour himself. Each issue also contained an interview with a notable Western wordslinger, such as Lauren Esselman, Elmore Leonard, and Wim Blevins. The covers were attractive, and overall the magazine was a class act. Ultimately, however, the stories were mediocre at best, and without more stories from Lamore himself, there simply wasn't enough else within the pages to make the magazine stand out. The Louis Lamore website provides a somewhat different spin, stating, 
Louis L'Amour Western Magazine was released bi-monthly and contained short stories of the Old and New West by both novice authors and old pros. Articles on Western history and travel, photographs, and art. Just as the L'Amour family was planning to expand its format into news and editorials on current issues in the West and add more stories and travel materials, the parent company decided to sell the whole Dell Magazine's division. Rather than have the magazine go to a new owner, who would perhaps not retain its quality, the Lemores decided to shut down operations with the hope of restarting at some time in the future. At the time of its demise, Louis L'Amour Western Magazine was quite successful with over 130,000 subscribers. With a little effort, copies of these digest-sized Western short story magazines can be purchased fairly inexpensively, which in itself speaks to the inherent averageness of the publications. Still, you might want to track down and own a few, if only for curiosity's sake. Moving into more contemporary territory, there are several excellent nonfiction Western magazines currently available. If you enjoy frontier history, both True West and Wild West provide an excellent monthly offering of real-life Western lore and more. The Western book editor for True West magazine, Stuart Rosebrook, tells me that the magazine was founded in 1953 and is currently the oldest popular Western magazine on the newsstands. It is filled with articles dedicated to Western history, culture, literature, film, television, firearms, and travel. Rosebrook says the goal of True West is to provide readers with a real, unvarnished history of the West with the best historical photography, art, ephemera, and illustrations possible. True West publishes 10 issues a year with special issues dedicated to the best of the West, top true Western towns, travel, and best museums. There are so many good things about True West that you need to check it out for yourself. Both True West and Wild West are well-researched, well-written, and what's more important to me, eminently readable. I'm not a fan of getting bogged down in ponderous prose or details. I want my nonfiction like my fiction, fast and furious. And with both of these magazines, that's the experience they provide. Both magazines can be found on the magazine racks of your closest Barnes & Noble or for an even more reasonable price by subscription. Two other nonfiction magazines of note are the Roundup and Saddlebag Dispatches. Published by the Western Writers of America, the Roundup is filled with current and historic information pertinent to the Western genre and written by some of the top names writing Westerns today. Inspired by the late Dusty Richards, Saddlebag Dispatches is a semi-annual magazine with an award-winning mix of Western fiction and historical articles. Beautifully put together, print copies are available, but it's far easier and less expensive to read each issue online. Now, fanzines are a hobbyist-created zine for every interest. Some are very professional, while others look like badly created ransom notes. Some are ambitious enough to find a sales outlet, but all struggle with finding a wide enough audience to support their efforts. One of the best of these efforts was the appropriately named Western Magazine, which debuted on the racks of British newsagents in October 1980. With a slick cover and a traditional magazine size, Western Magazine became the first Western genre information fanzine. Why call it a fanzine instead of a magazine? Mostly because, while it had professional aspirations, it lacked a professional interior layout, and the writing clearly showed its fan-based roots. Not that this was necessarily a bad thing, as Western Magazine's consultants Mike Stotter and Dave Whitehead, longtime school friends who clearly love the Western genre, along with Dennis Winston, formed a formidable trio of Western fans determined to produce the kind of genre magazine they themselves would want to read. Today, Whitehead, who is better known now by his Ben Bridges pseudonym, and Stotter are both best-selling Western writers. 
They are also the dynamic duo behind Piccadilly Publishing, which has given new life in ebook form to some of the most popular and best-loved Western and action-adventure series fiction of the last 40 years. But in 1980, as struggling writers, they idolized a group of British writers known as the Piccadilly Cowboys. These hard-living wordslingers had introduced new life into the staid Western genre with ultra-violent stories of six-gun justice and unrepentant anti-heroes. Western Magazine was a vehicle to unite the vast audience of Western fans by providing a monthly wealth of related Western articles and reviews and exclusive stories from the most popular Western series of the day. Unfortunately, starting a new magazine of any kind is an exercise in tilting at windmills, even if you provide a beautiful pull-out poster of Annie Oakley for those who found Playboy centerfolds too tame. Western Magazine was no exception and bit the dust at high noon on Main Street after only four issues. But those four issues are a gold strike of Western lore. Copies occasionally show up on eBay, but beware because the prices can range from reasonable to ridiculous. In 2018, Whitehead and Stoddard created another Western fanzine, Head West, via their successful Piccadilly Publishing imprint. There are two issues currently available via Amazon and absolutely worth tracking down for fans of the genre. I have purposely left the best for last. My British compadre, Justin Marriott, is the anointed king of fanzines. He publishes a number of special interest signs, including Paperback Fanatic, Sleazy Reader, Pulp Horror, and Men of Violence. Beginning in 2018, Justin and I had a blast working long distance via email, putting together the first issue of Hot Lead, the fanzine of vintage Western paperbacks. We had so much material, the first draft of the initial issue ran to 100 pages. We wisely decided to split the material into two issues. Despite the slightly higher cost per issue, we believe printing the interior illustrations and exterior covers in full color was the only choice. We wanted to fill the pages with pertinent articles, reviews, and interviews, but also make the design visually appealing, especially as we are huge fans of the vintage covers ourselves. And therein lies the joy of Hot Lead for Justin, myself, and our other contributors. Hot Lead is a true throwback to the pre-internet days of fanzines. Magazines, as I said earlier, produced by fans for fans, in which appreciation of the genre trumps the bells and whistles of the professional newsstand magazines. Fanzines are for those of us in the trenches, quick reading about the genres we love. Fanzines are also notorious for being irregularly published. It's the zen of the fanzine, and we embrace it. We started Hot Lead with the first issue in 2018. Two further issues appeared in 2019, and a fourth issue is scheduled for April 2020. Hot Lead is a labor of love produced in the best tradition of do-it-yourself kitchen table publishing, with all the quirks associated with that designation. The debut issue of Hot Lead traces the Piccadilly Cowboy phenomenon. Issue number two looks at the art of the Western. Hot Lead issue three is devoted to the adult Western to provide by series such as Slocum, Longarm, and The Gunsmith. Finally, the best is yet to come with the brand new Hot Lead issue four, which should be currently available via Amazon or will be very shortly, depending on the timing of when this Speedless and installment drops. Frankly, this packed all-review issue of Hot Lead is a fantastic achievement made possible by the efforts and dedication of Justin Marriott, who has collected and edited over 200 reviews of Western novels from across the history of the Western genre. The books reviewed by contributors from around the globe are as eclectic as they are personal. This is the ultimate example of what a fanzine should be. Go, buy it now. I'll wait. Seriously, go buy it now. Hopefully your copy of Hot Lead issue number four will shortly be on an Amazon truck headed your way. If you love Westerns, you can't not love Hot Lead, the fanzine of vintage Westerns compiled by fans for fans.
Thanks for listening to this exclusive Speed Listen installment of the Six Gun Justice podcast. Remember to check out the Six Gun Justice website at www.sixgunjustice.com. You can follow the Six Gun Justice podcast on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Till next time, be safe and keep your boots out of the cow pies, your saddle cinched tight, and your face off wanted posters. Adios.